We're in chapter 4, verse 11 through 17. I had a wonderful time reading the book of James, the epistle, three times. And when I was a new believer, I remember reading it for the first time and thinking, oh, this is tough. Conviction. At every sentence, conviction, right? So much so, I remember my Christian friends, we were saying, oh, let's go, let's go read James. Oh, no, we can't. We would say, we can't. It's, it's, too, it's too tough. And we would say things like, uh, if we knew we needed conviction, we'd say things like, all right, today we're going to go James all the way. And sometimes it was Ephesians all the way. We were new believers. I was 16 when I accepted the Lord. Maybe it was 15. That was a long time ago. Long, long time ago. Thank you. Wow. All right, so tonight, you get me, the rookie pastor. And faith having works. It's the proof of what you believe in, right? You believe in a God that you can't see. You believe that he's doing things in your life. You can't see that either. But the proof is the way you live, right? The way you talk to each other yesterday, not yesterday, last week, in chapter 3, what you do, that's the key, right? What you do in this whole book. James is talking about faith, the faith that without works is dead, right? If you have no proof, what good is it? It's dead. And what's something that's dead? It has no life. It's just going to turn back into dirt. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's gone. Your faith needs to have proof. And we'll see what's inside a person's heart by what they do, Right? what they do throughout their lives. Uh, The things we say to each other and how we speak to one another, how we speak to each other, the way we talk to each other, that's proof as well. In chapter 3, he he uses the term good conduct. Who is wise and understanding among you, let him show by good conduct, the way you act, the way you behave with one another. That his works are done in meekness of wisdom. James 3.13. I remember when we were uh, back in El Sereno in East LA, that would be one of the terms. You know, if someone's messing with you, we'd go, hey, how are you going to act? Like, you know, how are you going to act, man? It was, a, it was kind of a homeboy thing. Uh, beginning in chapter 4, we see that actions are the result of what's going on on the inside. So we see things on the outside, and that's the only way we could see the proof, right? What's going on in the inside? Uh, uh, James 4, 2 through 4 says, You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, right? We went through that with Fernando. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know 
Their friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And isn't that funny that when we are doing things in the flesh and we're doing things that are not right, we're now in the world. He relates that to the world. And who is controlling the people in the world? Satan, right? The devil. And who wanted to be like God? Lucifer, the devil, before he got cast out. That was found in his heart. See, now, Christians are trying to behave like God, but then they're acting like the devil. So he's going, no, you can't do this. Stop it. You know, cut it out. Stop behaving like the world and start following Christ and behaving like a Christian, Christ-like, right? And Mickey touched on this last week. Psalm 51, 17 and 16, For you do not desire sacrifice, the psalmist says, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. See, he's saying, this is not the outward stuff that God is looking for, right? He's looking for the stuff that's inside. That's the real stuff. And I believe one of the most important verses in this whole epistle, chapter 2, 19 through 20, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you not know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? You know, Satan and the angels, they all believe, Satan's angels, but they tremble. And how about us? And uh, um, we start talking about saying things to each other without the action to prove it. Um, I've, seen that, um, I've seen that in ministry, serving in, uh, in worship. Uh, people come up to me, and this happened time and time again. I, I, I've already lost count. They, they start telling me what I want to hear so that they can get involved and go up front and play music. And I'll tell them, especially if they're new to the church, I'll say, well, you guys, here's the rule. You've got to serve uh, or you got to, if you're coming off the street and it's the first time you're coming to this church, you got to sit under Xavier's teaching for about six months. After the six months, we're going to put you in a ministry outside of uh, serving on the stage somewhere else. And you serve there for six months. And after six months there and everything's okay, then we'll... We'll see about putting you in, you know, and right away, they're, well, don't you want to see me play? Don't, don't you want to? I said, well, there's, there's two things I, I need to see. The easy one, and, and the first thing would be that you can play music or that you could sing, that you have talent. That's easy. We could see that right away. Anybody could see that. The, the second one is the hardest one. What's inside here? What's going on inside there? And that's why we put that rule in there, the time, because time is going to show us what's in there. If you're serving in another ministry, if you're serving not up front, showing your, you know, your licks and all your, your shredding guitar licks and stuff, um, and you're serving somewhere else, we get to see your heart. 
you know, fine. The the music is is fine. It'll be okay. But let's let's see your heart. But people will come off and say, "Oh, but I know this person, and I did music for that person, and I did open for concerts, and blah blah blah." And they drop names that I don't even know. I'm like, I'm not impressed. I don't know who you're talking about. Um, but okay, this is where you got to go, you know. And and then I don't see them again. They leave. I don't even see them in church. I don't even. I don't even bump into them. They're gone. You know, so, um, so I, I entitled this uh, portion of James chapter 4, starting at verse 11. I entitled it, Who Do You Think You Are? And so he is asking, James is asking us, who do you think you are? Because we all have this thought about who we think we are and who we want others to think we are. Who do you think you are? Um, as you begin to grow in the Lord, you realize how long this road is that's ahead of you. Of the things that you have to change in your life. doesn't matter how young or how old you are. You, you accept the Lord and you see who you are. You look in the mirror and you go, oh, I got, I got things to change. And it, it's a long road. I remember um, when I got saved, I was... I was, uh, my dad was a pastor and I was going to his church in Lincoln Heights and, um, uh, I got saved. And so I started doing Bible studies for the youth group and, and this, uh, this elder of the church, uh, he just got saved maybe a couple of years ago and he was in his eighties and, uh, he was so excited to see me. He would always come up to me and hug me and he'd do this little dance. He was so excited. There's this little, you know, Mexican man. He was old and he was just excited. And, uh, I was, I didn't know how to react with him, but he was always saying to me, Oh, I'm, I'm so, I'm so blessed to see you giving your life to Christ, you know, and you're so young. He says, cause he goes, look at me. I'm old and, I can't do anything and, and, and you got your whole life ahead of you and you're gonna you're gonna you know you're 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 serving the Lord. He goes, That's so good and he's so excited for me. You know. And so we see that with that growth, that growing, that time that you have. And and that time is escaping. Time is leaving. We don't we don't we don't get time back again. You know, we're moving forward. Uh, I remember Hermano Guerra was what we used to call him, Guerra. It means war, by the way, Guerra, Guerra in Spanish. I used to call him Brother War. I say, all right, Brother War, you know. He's the, he's the guy who told me, hey, you know, he pulled me over and he goes, look it, uh, it's good you're a Christian, you're young. He says, but don't let them push you around, you know. He'd say, uh, you know, if they hit you, 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 you turn the other cheek and you prove to them that you're Christian. And they hit you again, you roll up your sleeves and you prove to them that you're a man. <laughs> you know, he's a, he was a funny old guy. So here James is addressing the church. He has a love and a care for these people as he does his own family. We have a family right here. We have a church family. And I know some of you guys see each other so much, more than your own families, that we're like a family right here. And it should be. It should be like that. A church family. And even the love that we have just talking to each other. Sometimes with family, you, you don't want to talk to some family members. Or they don't want to talk to you. 
You know, they don't want to hear you talk to them about Jesus again. And here we end up having to switch the lights on Thursday nights. Time to go, guys. Go talk outside. You know, it's just, it's, we love to talk to each other. We love to be around each other. It's like a family. In chapter 4, James, as in the previous chapter, he kind of points down the road. He tells us, keep on walking. You haven't arrived there are some faults in you. And he goes, and here they are. He starts spelling them out. Uh, so God sees through, through you and he knows what's in your heart. See, Joshua in the Old Testament, he says, but, for, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Serve being the action word there. We're not just going to talk about God. We're not just going to uh, say we're Christians. We're going to show the world. We're going to show you that we're Christians. And God sees what's inside. Psalm forty-four twenty-one. Would not God search this out, he says? For he knows the secrets of the heart. God knows all the secrets, guys. He knows the secrets of the heart. It kind of reminds me of that song, um, Fall Afresh, right? He blows through the caverns of my soul. Empty it out. There's little corners, little pockets. God knows them all. So let me ask you this. Do you think God knows the things you're hiding in your heart? Hmm? Or that you're holding back from changing in your life? Yes, he does. Remember the Old Testament, God knew what was in Jonah's heart, right? God wanted to teach Jonah to love as God loves, with forgiveness and kindness as the Lord does, right? He had, a, he had to get a big fish to swallow him up to teach him something. And I heard Xavier say the problem with Jonah was that he didn't want to be like his God. He didn't want it. He knew God was full of forgiveness, full of mercy, full of kindness. And God wanted to send Jonah to these people to save them. And Jonah was like, oh, these people don't deserve to be saved. It's like, that's not me, Jonah. And God wanted to change him. God knew with a heart, inside and out. How about you? Do you want to be like your God? Maybe you're the kind of person who likes to just be around Christians. There's people like that. They don't really ever really want to be like Christ. But they just know that you guys are really nice, that you're kind, that you share. And they just kind of want to be around you. But when they go away or they're on their own, they're, uh, they're doing their own thing. I, I know people like that. This one guy I used to work with. He loved to come around and, and, and hang out with me in my office because he knew I was a Christian and he used to be a Christian. And he would say things, oh, would God, and ask me like silly, ridiculous questions. Like if God was, if he's so strong, can he make a rock so big he can't carry it? Like, what are you talking about? What? You know, and he would just throw silly things at me. But he liked hanging out with me because he knew I was a Christian. But outside of that, when I walk away, he, he's... He's living his life, you know, he's drinking, he's, he's, li he's just he's crazy, he's a crazy guy. And so he just liked being around Christians, and there are people like that. 
They don't want to be like God. They believe in God, but they don't, they don't want to live like God. They don't want to be like God. And God is calling us to be like Christ. Right? That's how we picked up the name, Christians. They're all trying to be like Christ. From the very beginning of this epistle, James is giving us a consistent picture of authentic Christian faith. In practice, Warren uh, Wearsby, the church, uh, he wrote, the church today doesn't want to hear James' message. Many Christians today only want to hear counsel that is only affirming. They want to hear programs that are merely entertaining and music that's always upbeat. It's entertaining, right? Yet, the problems James has addressed here, it requires a submission that is humbling and a resistance that is demanding, right, from the world. An attitude that is sorrowful and life changes that are radical. This is serious. This is the seriousness of repentance, the seriousness of truth, the sincerity of the heart, what's inside. Sincerity, that you really mean it, right? It's coming from the inside. Remember that song, from the inside out? My heart and my soul, Lord, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out, right? To love you from the inside out. That's why I like that song so much. It is so important to have that sincerity within your Christian walk. Do you really have submission to your Lord? Is he your Savior and Lord? Don't play games with your Christian walk because God knows what's going on inside your heart. And he knows your motives. So let's read the text. uh, Chapter 4, verse 11 through 17. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Verse 13, come now. You say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Verse 16, but you... But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Verse 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. It's heavy stuff. And I broke this down in two parts. What we presume with others and what we presume with ourselves. Verse 11 and 12. Verse 13 through 17, playing God with others and playing God with ourselves. So verse 11, do not speak evil one of another. Pretty plain and simple, period. Notice how there are no exceptions here. Like, well, but if you're uh, 
6'2", you're okay. You could look down on people. It's all right. No, no, no. Nothing like that. Now, he's saying speak evil. What is evil? What is this speak evil? Do I speak evil? Do I, have I ever done that? Well, what is evil? Hate, immorality, wickedness, lying, condemnation, false accusation. How about that? Evil. Blaming somebody or accusing something from someone falsely? And who do we find in the Bible who's like one of the main accusers? Satan, once again. Christians acting like the devil when they're supposed to be acting like God. And he says, cut it out. This is being like Satan. When you're following the world or what the world approves and is socially acceptable, you're following Satan. And we need to be like Christ. What's the opposite of evil then? Love, good, upright, truth. Right? Honesty, joy, kindness, mercy, all those things that God has. All his characteristics. So now, when we judge others, we begin to put ourselves in the place of a judge. You want to take the judge's seat. You start judging people. Now, we should be clear. James here is not telling us that we can't make a decision about like, your safety, for instance, you know, like taking a walk through a dark alley in a bad neighborhood. You should, you know, be wise about those things. Have some discernment. You could, you could judge for yourself on things like that, you know, with being safe with your kids, um, <clears throat> on simple issues. But we're talking about how you and our fellow Christians are dealing and speaking with each other, how we talk to each other. And the the judgments that people are making. Oh, that guy's an idiot. Really? You, you don't even know that guy. You don't know the things he went through. Oh, that guy's dumb. You know, oh, really? You know, oh, I can't stand that guy. You know, you don't know what's happening in this guy's heart. You don't know his life. Are you saying you're like God? Are you putting yourself in that judgment seat? We got to watch out. Now, we all make mistakes, and we're imperfect, right? The Bible says there's none good. And James is talking to the church here. They're all believers. So we fellowship with one another as we spend time together, and when the flesh is revealed by our fellow believers in the church, don't judge. We want to say right away, I would never do that. I'm not going to hang out with that guy. Don't judge. When a judge makes a conclusion, it's at the end, right? When every piece of evidence has been laid out and witness, witnesses have presented what they've seen, the lawyers have presented their arguments. When we judge, we begin to presume to have all the knowledge, right? Oh, that's enough. That's enough for me. I know it all. That guy's an idiot. No, no, no. Wait a minute. You don't know it all. You don't know the whole thing. You don't know what's inside this guy's heart. You need the proof. You have no evidence. I read this magazine article about this guy who, um, he didn't like it when people would clap after a song at church. (laughs) Right? 
there was a worship leader, right? And he would raise his finger up towards God. You read that. Because he felt that, uh, you know, because they were all the clapping and the guy would go like this, right? And I've seen that. You've seen that around. Like there's clapping and you go like this, right? And he didn't like that. He said it was, uh, it was ungrateful. The guy was being ungrateful. And my first thought was, how does he know what's in that guy's heart? That was my first thought. Wait a minute, how does, this, how does this guy looking at him, point his finger up to God, know what's in that guy's heart? He judged right away. Well, he's being ungrateful. Wait a minute. Only God knows what's in the man's heart. He might be saying, uh, I give you the glory, Lord. Right? And that was my first thought. Whenever I see musicians do that and people are clapping for them, they do this. I'm thinking, oh, he's giving God the glory. He doesn't want to accept it. Applause for me, applause for me. No, he's, he's going applause to the Lord. God given. That's what I was thought was going. Was giving God the glory. Pointing upwards to him. But it's so easy to presume. And it's easy and it's, it's going to be scary, a scary road if we think that God thinks like we do. He doesn't. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Isaiah, right? 55.8. Your ways are not my ways. You don't know. Maybe you judge someone by the clothes that they wear. Oh, that guy's a hipster, man. Oh, that guy's a cholo, man. You know, come on. You, you don't like his shoes or something. Maybe you judge by uh, someone by their age. Maybe you judge by their race or their color or their skin. Maybe you're, you're judging because they have blue eyes or something. I don't know. The Webster's Dictionary defines the word presume to think that something is true without knowing it is true. Right? To think that something is true without knowing that it is true. You just believe it's true. You don't even know it's true, but you just believe it. You have no proof. Resist. The Bible tells us, resist the temptation to sit on the throne of God and pass judgment. And these things are subtle. These are not regular sins, you know, that you would normally see on the top ten list of the commandments, right? Remember, in a, um, remember whose uh, job sitting on that throne is? It's God's. Remember in Isaiah that uh, when Satan... He wanted the job. He said, uh, or it's in uh, Isaiah fourteen twelve. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the highest of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Right? And God said, no, you're not. <laughs> and he cast him down. So we've got to remember, that temptation will come to us. And it's subtle. But also remember James in chapter 2.13, mercy triumphs over judgment. We want to judge people. The, the temptation is to judge them and just be done with them. But God is saying, no, I have mercy 
and I want to give them mercy. Right? Mercy, it triumphs over judgment. Right? This is our God, right? He wants us to be like Him. Not like Satan. Go to verse 12. There, there is a lawgiver, he says. So that position is already taken. From the beginning of time, God is the lawgiver. He meets the qualifications for that position. And He alone is, on, is the only one who can. We will misrepresent God. We won't have mercy. We'll take someone out back and hang them. But God has mercy. Look how serious it was for Moses in Exodus. Remember when uh, God told him about uh, the people? Um, here, let me see. Exodus eighteen fifteen. And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me and I judge between one and another. And I make known the statutes of God and his laws. Moses wasn't judging. God was judging. He was, Moses was just being used by God. He was giving, him, giving the people God's statutes and God's laws. It wasn't Moses' laws. It was God's. Moses was speaking for him. Like uh, what we're doing today. You know, we have God's word. And I'm up here speaking God's word. When you are witnessing and you're talking to people about God, you're, you're not giving your own opinion of who God is. You're, you're speaking who God is from this book right here. From the Bible. That's who God is. You know, and you're going to start making new books and describing God differently. Well, then, you know, you could join another church for that. There's a lot of them out there. God's laws, God's statutes in our difficulties, like the children of Israel went to Moses, we go to his word. We go to God's laws. Remember when Moses misrepresented God and he hit the rock in anger, right? To give the people water. And Moses couldn't enter the promised land. That's serious. He could not enter the promised land. He took the children of Israel out of Egypt and he couldn't enter himself because of what he did. God was showing his people his love, his mercy, his generosity to give them water in the desert. God wasn't angry with them. But Moses represented to the people that he was angry, that God was mad. God did not like that. It was serious. And we have to, um, we have to make sure we're making no God's statutes, God's laws. What about today? What about uh, judging? Like uh, uh, the we have right now the a large homosexual community who's saying that uh, that we're judging. Are we? It's possible there are some Christians that are judging. But what does God's law say? What is what does His statutes say? Don't judge. And it talks about that sin specifically. We could read it out and go into it, but I'm not going to go into that today. It talks about those sins. And we can turn to God's word to find that out. And making sure we're not trying to take a seat on God's judgment throne just because we don't like somebody or we don't like what they do. You want to take a seat and judge them. You know, like I said, take them out back and hang them or something. God wants to show mercy. God wants to show love. 
So we have to ask, who do you think you are? The second part, playing God with ourselves and playing God with others. Starting in verse 13, we see here the Christian who plans his life, makes career plans for his future, but forgets one very important thing to do. He forgot to ask God. This is a Christian. He forgot to ask God. The Christian who does not go to the Lord and ask for God's will to be done, or to even ask God for his blessing, he's, he's lost. He, he's not turning to God. We hear Christians ask the Lord to open or close a door of opportunity. That's good. Have you heard that before? Oh, let's pray that uh, well, God will open a door. Right? Let's, let's pray for so-and-so who's going on a trip. Uh, let's pray for the plans that we have, for, uh, for the events coming up. That's good. That's what we've got to do if, if it's God's will. But the Christian begins to play God by saying, you know what? I don't need to go to God because I got it all under control. You know, I can do this. I, God's a crutch. I don't want to go there. I just want to do it on my own. Really? You know, no, no, no. We Christians, maybe, maybe even some of us here, we have success in our careers, success in businesses. And how presumptuous can we can be thinking that we can make plans for our lives apart from the Lord while being Christians without going to the Lord first. It's, it's not consistent in your, in your walk with the Lord. It's a mark of carnality. James is not objecting to us making plans and goals for our lives. He's only objecting when our plans exclude God. Right? Oh, I worked, for hard, I worked hard for this. You know, I worked hard for that job. I worked hard for this position. I did, I did. Oh, I went to school and I studied and graduated with honors. That was me, me, me. This is my business. It was my idea, my invention. The Christian that says all these things and never turns to the Lord, uh, this is who James is talking about. You can't just talk about faith and not have the works to prove it. You know, verse 14, you, you ever go to a window on a cold night while you're indoors and you fog up the window? What do you get? You get that fog on the window and it's gone later on. You get that vapor and you can even draw a picture on it if you want, but it, the picture is going to be gone. Or if you light a match and the smoke goes up, it's just for a moment, it's gone. See, none of us can, pro can, uh, can promise that we're going to uh, be alive tomorrow. And so all of this, um, I, when I first read this, I was thinking, you know what? I don't, I don't get the connection here. But the connection is that when you're playing God, you're trying to take his position of a judge, trying to take his position of being in control. You're supposed to give your life to God. He's in control. You see, so it all ties together here. The Christian who doesn't want to give control to God in his life is the same, same guy who wants to judge people like that. A mark of carnality in a Christian life. We learn that life is uncertain. Life is temporal. I mean, I remember when I got saved, I was at a church in Glendale. Glendale. 
And uh, there was this artist, his name was Carmen, a guy named Carmen. I don't get it, but um, a friend of mine was with me and he, he gave the, the, the pastor gave an invitation to come on down. And I was like, okay, that's, that's cool. I've heard it before, but he turned to me, kind of nudged me and said, let's go. You want to go? I said, yeah, let's go. And I remember like it was yesterday, and time is going by so fast. And I wish I could say that starting at that day was a victorious, glorious Christian walk from then on in. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Because I, I was so young when that happened. The worst sins were still ahead of me coming. So, our life is uncertain. And it's temporal. This life is going to end. We all know someone who's gone. Our time is going to come. Everyone leaves this planet. Everyone will leave eventually. It's temporal. Ephesians 5.17 says, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do you know what the will of the Lord is? What is the Lord's will? I remember thinking when I was first born again, what is God's will? I'm never going to find it out. It's, 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 too, it's too heavy. It's, it's, it's too insane for me to think about what God's will is. And James, throughout this epistle, is telling us how to live. He's telling us what is the Lord's will for our lives. Right? Over and over again, he's telling us what the Lord's will is how to behave, how to speak to each other, how to talk, how to, how to control your tongue. Right? In verse 3, how to, how to live. This is God's will. It's not something mystical and powerful that comes down from a cloud. It, it's right here in the, in, the, in the chapters. Verse 15 and 16. We remember here, and it needs to come from inside. If the Lord wills, and you don't just say it, we have to mean it. Right? Let's read 15 and 16. It says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Right? And I, I thought the last couple of uh, weeks, I would try to remember. And I don't know, maybe some of you could recall. I, you know, oh, see you later. I always say, I'll see you later. Like, wait a minute. I don't know that for sure. And I catch myself now. And I try to catch myself now. Well, if the Lord wills, see you there. Lord willing, you hear Christians say all the time. Well, Lord willing, see you later. And I find myself catching it catching that because I, I do say that a lot oh see you later see you tomorrow no, no no Lord willing see you tomorrow you don't know tomorrow is promised to no one did you pray about starting that business did you pray about your college major did you pray about buying that car did you pray about who the Lord is going to bring you as a wife or as a husband did you pray you ought to say, or you should be saying, or you need to say, 
Lord will. That's your obligation. It's the right thing to do. And James keeps saying it over and over again. It's the right thing to do. In chapter 2, chapter 3, now here in chapter 4, it's the right thing to do. In verse 16, he's saying you're bragging, you're proud about your accomplishments, boasting in arrogance. You're arrogant about it. He's saying it's evil. That's evil. James spells out a sin that so easily we forget or don't really see within ourselves. It's kind of subtle. You know, if somebody commits murder, okay, that sin is pretty easy to see. I saw what he did. He, he's going to jail for the rest of his life. You know, that sin was very visible. The sin of being arrogant and boastful. No, you don't see that. You don't see that too often anyway. It will eventually in time when you hang out with someone who's very boastful and arrogant, it'll come out. But it's a sin. It's sinful. It's evil. You go, well, you think, well, it's not listed in the Ten Commandments. Uh, I don't know, isn't it? Isn't it? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Right? I don't know. How can you boast when you're doing this stuff? How can you boast when you're living a humble life in the Lord, knowing that you're giving God all the acknowledgement, that you're pointing it to Him? You say, no, it's not me. I mean, God is the one who's doing this. And uh, you go to God when you make your plans. You go to God when you decide you're going to buy that car. And that it's not saying you can't go do those things, but you're doing those things without God. You're saying, you, you, know, you put Jesus on, a, on, a, uh, on, on your car in the front, and then when you want to drive past 70, you put the little Jesus and put him, put him away in the... In the glove box, right? <laughs> well, I can't, you know, I'm going to be going 80 today, so you throw Jesus inside. No, you're living the life. Verse 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Okay, there's more sin that's kind of sly there. We don't really see it all to a Another sin that tends to be a bit elusive. Boasting about your plans. How you have your life so together. And you don't even know if you're going to wake up tomorrow. That kind of arrogance. That's sin. Not only is it sin to do wrong, but it's a sin to not do what you know to be right. He says, you know that's, that the right, that's the right thing to do, and you're not doing it. And James throughout there, he's saying, this is the right thing to do. Right here, this is the right thing to do. This is the right thing to do again in chapter 4. But you don't do it. That is sin. To the Christian. Okay, so you gave up drinking. You gave up drugs, gambling, girls, whatever it is. You gave up. But what about this? Arrogance, boasting, pride of life. Is it the right thing to pray? Yeah. Is it the right is it right to read your Bible? Yeah, right? Is it the right thing to come to church and fellowship? Yes. 
Is it the right thing to give your abundance and share with those who have nothing? Okay, yeah. Is it the right thing to share your faith to those around you and be a good witness for Christ? Is that the right thing to do? Yeah, that sounds like the right thing to do. So if you don't do it, what is it? Sin. Okay, so now it's, okay, it's the right thing to do to pray. So if you don't pray, what is it? Sin. Christian. If it's the right thing to read your Bible and you don't do it, what is it, Christian? Sin. To you it is sin, he says, verse 17. If it's the right thing to come to church and fellowship and you don't do it, it's sin. Of course, I'm speaking to the wrong crowd. You guys are here on a Tuesday night. Awesome. <laughs> it's the right thing to share your faith to those around you and be a good witness for Christ. That's the right thing to do. But if you don't do it, Christian, it is sin. It is, it is wrong for you. Now, to the non-believer, he's never given his life to Christ. That's not sin to him because he's... He's not even in the family. But to you it is. James here gives us a different picture of what sin is like. Of what sin is for the believer. For the Christian who's growing up. Surrounded by other Christians. In dealing with each other. And speaking to each other. How we speak to each other. The things we say to each other. The jokes and the things that the world that we're stripping off away from us and how we deal with each other. You know, when you're lost in sin in the world, sin looks different. It looks different than someone who's truly born again. Luke 18, 9, 14 says, there's a parable there, a Pharisee of the, Pharisee and the tax collector. And Jesus is speaking here. He says, also he spoke to this, uh, spoke this parable of some who trusted in themselves. They trusted in themselves. This is kind of the line we're, we're talking about here. That they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners and unjust adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. The, he's talking about the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, there's some Christians, some people, uh, just uh, just to feel better about themselves, they put other people down. Like this Pharisee here. How arrogant can you be not only to exalt yourself over someone else like this guy did, 
But he started making a list of all the things that he does better than him. A list. Can you believe it? But to also think and say that you're different in a way. You're different in a way that, that you would not commit those sins. You're above all that. You wouldn't do something like that. You say, oh, I would never. Really? Maybe you just haven't had the opportunity. I heard Xavier say, uh, James chapter 4, that uh, he, if he had one word to sum up the chapter, it would be worldliness. Worldliness can creep into the Christian's life so easily. The carnal Christian. But let's remember Proverbs 30, 8 and 9 says, Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. See, the psalmist here is being real. He's being real about who he is. Given the situation, what he's capable of, of doing. He's not saying, I would never. He's, oh, I could never do that. He's keeping it real. We need to be humble before the Lord. We need to be humble with others. And we need to be humble with ourselves. Um, when we have the faith that puts it all into action, and it's something we don't see. It turns into something that we can see. And it turns into something that everybody can see. Hey, that guy is a Christian. Hey, there's something about that guy. Maybe at work you can't be talking about you know, Christ. And, but there's something about you. you know, or maybe they know what it is about you and they hate you for it. But they see it. It's alive. It's a faith that is visible. Something that's invisible inside of you is now visible outside of you. Um, there's a song that I love. <clears throat> it's called All the Way My Savior Leads Me. It was written by Francis Jane Crosby, who wrote more than 9,000 hymns this lady loved to write hymns to the Lord, some of which are among the most popular in every Christian denomination. She wrote so many that she was forced to use pen names lest the hymnals be filled with her name above all others. And for most people, the most remarkable thing about her was that she had done so in spite of her blindness. She said, uh, I think it is a great pity. Or oh, wait a minute. No, that was a preacher who said, I think it's a great pity that the master did not give you sight. The preacher said, when uh, he, show, he showered so many other gifts upon you, he said. And she responded, as she heard these comments before, do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, 
it would have been that I was born blind. I said, wow. That's what she said. She had been able to see only for her first six weeks of her life. And she said, because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. Uh, Her love of poetry began early. Her first verse, written at age eight. And it didn't take long. By age 23, she was addressing Congress and making friendships with presidents. In fact, she knew all the chief executives of her lifetime, especially President Grover Cleveland, who served as secretary for the Institute for the Blind before he was elected president. She wrote this song. All the way my Savior leads me, What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy? Who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell, for I know, whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. All the way my Savior leads me, cheers each winding path I tread, Gives me grace for every trial. Feeds me with the living bread. Though my weary steps may falter and my soul athirst may be, gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. Remember, she's blind. All the way my Savior leads me. Oh, the fullness of his love. Perfect rest to me is promised in my Father's house above. When my spirit clothed immortal wings its flight to realms of day, this my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. Amen. It's that faith. And she was blind. She could see, I think, more clearly than some of us. All right, let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you, God, for, Lord, this chapter and verse. Lord, that you teach us how to live, how to speak to each other, how to deal with one another. Lord, and not to live in carnality of life, judging others without knowing the full picture of who people are inside. That you're not that way, Lord. You have mercy, you have kindness, you have love, unconditional. And Lord, we want that, to be like you. And Lord, we thank you, God, that, Lord, this faith that we have will give us sight. Lord, we thank you, God, for your love. Thank you, God, for this church, your faithfulness to us. 
And I pray, Father, that you would give us strength to live this life walking in you. If there's anyone here who needs to give their life to Christ and have never done it, you could pray right where you are and say, Lord, come into my life. I accept you as Lord and Savior. If you do that and you mean it, there's sincerity, God will do that. He will come into your life. So Lord, we just, we just thank you, God, for this time. Lord, I pray that you would keep us safe as we go our way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right.